0: Hello, hello! I am Matt Williamson. This is the Locked On NFL Podcast. How is everyone this fine Thursday? Um, season's drawing near. You know, It's not that far away. Yeah, I'm going to... quick housekeeping note here. I'm going to do another show tomorrow, as usual. All next week. And then once a year, I disappear for a week. And that's going to be the following week after that. We go to uh, a family vacation where there's basically no internet. So I don't write or record ...for that whole time. And then from there I'm basically just moving up to Steeler Training Camp... ...and I'll be doing shows from there with you guys... ...and they won't be all Steeler related, don't get me wrong. But I might have a little nugget each day of something I saw at practice... ...or someone we interviewed, or whatever. Um, Yesterday was the supplemental draft. And for those of you that don't know how it works... ...it's basically like a blind bidding auction type of deal... ...where teams, if there's somebody they want... ...they email the league saying... I'll give up my six-round pick next year for them. And if their bid is the best, then they get the guy. And it's based off of last year's draft, too. So, like, if the Browns and the Patriots both put in a third-round bid for one of these young men coming out, the Browns would get it. That doesn't mean that, you know, it's still next year's pick, but it's a priority way of looking at things. So... There's been some some pretty good players in the supplemental draft, but the last five years have been really slow. Josh Gordon's really the, the latest dude. Um, Chris Carter's the most well-known supplemental pick. Bernie Kozar, who came out in the supplemental draft. So yesterday, there were two dudes that were end up getting picked. So this is kind of noteworthy, and they weren't, you know, they're not total afterthought type of guys. Sam Beal is a corner out of Western Michigan. And the Giants got him with their third-round pick. Which means... Well, it doesn't mean it for sure. But that's an early third-round pick. Remember, that's the Barkley pick. You know, that's the second pick in the the round. So maybe... I mean, again, I'm guessing. Maybe many teams put in a third-round bid for Beal. And the Giants got him because they had the higher priority than every team but the Browns. So... The other one is Adonis Alexander, another corner. He went to the Redskins with a six-round pick. So the Skins will um, give up their six-rounder next year, and the Giants will give up their third-rounder next year for Beal. So what is Beal? He's, so, and probably safe to say, but if it wasn't if he was in last draft he's probably a second third round type guy you know like if, giving up a, but the, the nice thing about that too is you get this guy a year earlier than next year's third round pick you know so you get you're getting a little advance on your investment he's tall he's long he's 6-1ish kind of lean kind of like a DRC body type you know like long slender guy um they love the height He's got his hands on the football a lot. The the key here though is they are switching their defense. You know, James Bechter comes over, and they are going to play a lot more press man, base 3 4, blitzing. Think the Cardinals. And I'm not saying Sam Beal's Patrick Peterson, but that's what they want. I mean, you're not going to get Patrick Peterson. But I think this fits Jenkins really well. There's a lot of questions about Eli Apple. He's kind of an Apple-like body type. So their corner position was a little questionable. And they had so many other needs this year that they didn't really address it all that much. But Beal, with a lot of man coverage on his resume, which is something you absolutely look for scouting, it looks like he fits the system really, really well. So we'll see. You know, I mean, he was pretty much a lock to go in this supplemental draft. I mean, everyone knew he was going to go. And, you, and basically all the time, one other note, just supplemental draft note, is generally there's a, a big flaw, a character issue, kicked out of school, something like that of why are you in the draft now as opposed to the regular NFL draft. And with Beal, it was not a character thing as much as academic issues. So um, he was behind on credits, so he decided, I'm going to go now and get in the league as fast as possible. So that made some sense. Where Adonis Alexander... He had more off-the-field issues, and I don't know all of them, but I do think that was failed drug tests, allegedly. I'm not positive on that one. Again, they only used a six-round pick on him, and he's a much different style of corner. He's a big corner. He's 6'3". He's well over 200 pounds. 207, I think, is what he came in at. Didn't run real, real well. You know, where Beal ran a 4'4", Alexander ran like a low 4'6". Some kind of looked at him. Is he a safety? Is he a corner? He has a lot of ability, and you got to remember too. I mean, yeah, he ran a four-six-one, but he didn't train for this like the the normal draft prospects would have trained. You know, so he, um, you know, didn't probably have as much time to prepare. But you know, he had plenty of he had plenty of time, but just not as much. Um, the defensive backs coach at Washington is a guy named Torian Gray. He coached Adonis Alexander during his freshman year, so he has. A knowledge of the kid you know maybe he's helped recruit him you know absolutely probably was involved in that as well they didn't mention that in the read up write up that i read about that correlation but generally the defensive back coach is going to help recruit the defensive backs so maybe he's a safety maybe he's a corner should be a good special teamer um i think he does have some press man potential but i think he fits the washington scheme much like beal fits the giant scheme In that they play a lot of off-coverage. Keep things in front of you. Get downhill. You remember they traded Fuller. They're a little bit light at the corner position. So, you know, Norman is a similar style. So, it makes a lot of sense. And these two young men will be joining their teams here. And the other guys that didn't get picked are all free agents, just like undrafted free agents in the normal draft. And I'm sure they'll be signing in the next couple days. So it is Twitter Thursday. You guys have some good questions here. Actually, quite a few. Might have to make this a two-part show. Maybe we'll do more Twitter questions tomorrow. Uh, Andrew Fazalore asked me, "Do you believe the Finns are? Uh, why do you believe the Finns are only predicted to win six games? They won six with the QB throwing off his back foot every play last year, referring to Jay Cutler, who had a terrible year. So I do think people are understating that difference. You know, I'm a Tannehill believer. I'm not saying he's the next Marino." But I'm a Tannehill believer, and no one seems to be talking about Tannehill returns. You know that this team was pretty competitive last year with pulling Cutler off the broadcast booth, and he had a terrible year. So I do see where you're coming from, and I forget where I picked. I mean, I did do the AFC East show, so go back and download that one and check it out. I think I did take the over on a six-win over-under. They played the Bills twice. I think they're a better team than the Bills. They play the Jets twice, which they're, you know, I would think they probably split. Um, so I hear you. I have some questions about the defense, and I think that Sue loss is massive for these guys. I really do. the The defensive tackle situation really worries me, but they got a lot of ends. They got a lot of edge guys. I think they'll get after the quarterback. They added Minka, who I think is a really nice pickup. I think the offensive line should be a little more stable now. Sittin, Kilgore. So I see what you're saying, and I would lean towards the over, uh, although I don't think the Finns are a contender. My man Go Pats asked, Throwback Thursday, who is the better overall defensive back from the 90s, Deion Sanders or Rod Woodson? Um, Steeler, obviously I have some bias, and I have less bias now than I did then. But from a Pittsburgh perspective, as a Steeler fan, fan perspective, this kind of remind me of Paul Malu vs. Reed, you know, in a generation later, but it was often discussed, you know, on talk shows and around Pittsburgh and, you know, throughout the league as well, who's better Dion or Woodson? And knowing the Steeler history and the style of fans that are in this town, they hated Dion. You know, like, of course, everyone's black and gold biased like crazy. And back then I was, too, that Dion doesn't tackle. He'd never be a Steeler. You know, we can't stand that guy. He's a finesse dude. He's flashy. Like, he doesn't exactly fit the Steeler tradition where Woodson did. And Woodson was big and physical and moved to safety late in his career. But this will probably shock you. I think Dion Sanders is the better player. Um, especially if it were today, you know, like defending the run doesn't matter that much anymore where Woodson was very good at it and Blitzer and, you know, the woods, both would be amazing today. And they're both two of the best of all time. And when I do my Steeler all time list, I have Woodson much higher than people usually do. So I am a big believer, but Dion was a locked down man coverage corner alone on an island with Jerry Rice, you know, like, or Michael Irvin, you know, like. That was his job every week with no help. You know, the other 10 played against the other 10. And he was unbelievable with the ball in his hands. Punt returner. And Woodson was really good at those things too. I mean, Woodson almost went to the Olympics. You know, when he was holding out after getting drafted, he almost went to the Olympics. Unbelievable athlete. But I think in terms of just coverage, and again, they will be more important today than even then, I'll give the the nod to Dion. Charlie Smith asks, who wins these week one matchups? Zimmer versus Shanahan. So that's Vikes versus Niners. I like the Vikes in that one. That's for sure. Odell versus Ramsey, which will happen, yes, but history, pro- and maybe this changes, but I bet Jacksonville continues to generally play Bouye on one side, Ramsey on the other. But not like A.J. Bouye's is any walk in the park for you know a wide receiver either. In fact, I just turned in my, you know, it's just in my top 10 corners in the league. And I think I had Ramsey third and Bouye fourth. And Bouye may have even had the better year of the two. Um, and that pass rush. So I'm going to give the edge there to the, the Jacksonville corners. I'm not going to give it to Odell. Because I think Eli's going to be under a lot of pressure, which absolutely helps. If it was a vacuum Odell versus Ramsey, I would probably give it to Odell. But there's 10 other people on the field. Um, Seattle's O-line versus Denver's front four. That one seems a little lopsided there, Charlie. I like Denver's front four on that. And, you know, getting Von Miller blocked and Chubb. By the way, and, and I don't like to get too far ahead on these type of things, but the reports on Chubb have been absolutely glowing from Denver. You know, that they really think he's going to be a difference maker. So, well, I'm excited to watch him in the preseason. And then the last one he asked is Geno Atkins versus Quentin Nelson. Um, I'm going to call that one a draw because I think in the passing game, edge to Atkins. In the running game, edge to Nelson, um, who I think is going to be unbelievable. But that is a heck of a, of a week one test for sure. You get Gino, who I think was my number two defensive tackle. He's two or three, either Fletcher Cox or Geno was was two or three on that list. I think Nelson will be in the conversation for best guard in the league sooner than later, too. Um, I like his ability to move uh, Atkins in the run game. I think he'll struggle, you know, first game in the league against Geno Atkins, rushing the passer. Uh, Charlie also asked me, who are your favorite local beat writers for NFL teams? Uh, Dale Lawley's my favorite local beat writer. My man Dale and I do a show every day where we go to camp. Um, But I'll be honest, I I really don't follow beat writers that much. That's... I'm not discrediting what beat writers do at all, but I I follow more scouts, more analysts than I do beat writers, you know. But there are some exceptional ones out there. I got to know quite a few of the ones that were the Sports Nation guys at ESPN. Some have come and gone, some have come and gone. My man Bill Williamson is absolutely a great beat writer for Oakland. Urge you to check him out. Um... So, I'm not the best person to ask for that. I know there are some guys out there that follow every beat writer out there, and you can get a lot of information. But I also feel like beat writers sometimes just have to write stories to write stories. You know, like, as much Steeler stuff as I do, I'm starting to understand it more, and I hang with all their beat writers. Uh, In a way, I kind of am one, except I don't report. Um, I remember when I started doing stuff with Steeler Nation Radio, it was like how do you guys only talk about one team all the time? You know, I'm used to 32 equals and I still struggle with that. Like, yeah, how much can we talk about Le'Veon Bell holding out? You know, like there's not enough news and not enough stories to talk all the time about, you know, one team to me. Uh, Duncan Eastman asked me taking Winston's inconsistent play and off the field behavior into consideration. Should Tampa Bay be evaluating the quarterback position? Is he the long-term solution? I don't have that answer, and I do think that's very much in doubt. I think it's a really interesting situation. Let's not forget, I mean, he was, Don't I mean, I don't mean to throw this out there if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure he was accused of a sexual situation with a woman at Florida State, and it was thrown out. And there were worries about him coming out of school. He wasn't a, quote, clean prospect. And now there's another one, obviously, and he's getting suspended for it. And it would have been six games, and they reduced it to three, so he'd just get out of the way, basically. So it probably was pretty bad, you know. Like it's, I'm not saying he's a good guy or whatever, but he's also very, very young. Came in the league extremely young. I think when he started his first game, it was the youngest any quarterback had ever started a game. So I'm again, I'm not defending him off the field, but I do think there's a lot of room. For her, him to mature as a human being and grow up, you know. Come on, Jameis, grow up. So I can't contri- I can't talk a lot about that. But they, he does have a fifth-year option that they picked up. It doesn't mean they have to, you know, stick with that. If they really think he's a bad guy and not the answer, then you know they would move on from him. My hunch, though, is he's a good fo- he's a good football player, and good football players are hard to find, and good quarterbacks are hard to find. I like Winston's game a lot as a player. I do. He throws 20 balls a year, 30 balls a year, two a game, something like that, that are just stupid. And why? what are you thinking? Come on, man. Value the football more than that. And I think he'll have some of that to him his whole career, where he is a risk taker. He's fearless. And I hope that he's less stupid with those throws, you know, as he gets older, but I think they're still gonna be a high turnover player. And Favre's the obvious example. But I think he's also still really good though. You know, that it means a lot to me that he lost all that weight and changed his body for football. By all accounts, he's not a slacker in terms of working with football. Absolutely loves the game. Does those weird things like eating W's and things, so you wonder what kind of leader he is and how do his teammates perceive him? But he plays hard, he works hard, and I think he's very, very talented. And I thought he ended last season in an extreme high note, and it wouldn't shock me at all if he came back from suspension in those remaining thirteen games or last dozen games because they play the th- he misses three, then they go to Chicago, then there's a bye. But it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me at all if after that buy, he plays like a top ten type of quarterback. And if he does, the Bucks are going to keep him. You know, I mean, unless there's there's off the field things are really, really, really serious, you know, worse than we think, then yeah, you know. And, and they don't have a young guy. You know, Fitzpatrick's a backup. So I tend to think he'll be their quarterback for a long time. If I were to put a chip down, I have a man, Joshua Silver, asked me rank Favre, Marino, Elway. And I feel pretty strong. I'd go Marino, Elway, Farv. Um, all awesome. And, and for those of you who don't remember, Favre, run, went, Favre won three straight MVPs. I mean, that's awesome. I mean, he was an amazing player and also clearly had the longevity. But the turnover stick in my head with him. You know, when you're splitting hairs of, amongst, you know, three of clearly the top 10 quarterbacks that ever lived. His turnovers kind of hold me back a little bit against the other two. Um, I kind of grew up always saying Elway would be my guy, my pick. And not because the end, but the beginning. I mean, the three Super Bowl teams that he took the Broncos to with very little around him. And depending on your age, tell me who the three amigos are. Who was his running back for those teams? You know, Carl Mecklenburg and who else was the rest of the defense for those three Denver uh, Super Bowl appearances? Didn't win any of them, and I don't think most were really competitive. But to get him there, Elway was a monster. I mean, he's very, very high on my all time quarterback list. But Marino, and do I have a little pit bias? Maybe. You know, did I drive kids past Danny M's house many, many times when I took him on recruiting visits where he grew up? Oh, yeah, I certainly did. You know, you're driving around, you're going to get something, you know, you're giving a, a campus tour. Oh, let's make this turn. Oh, that's where Dan Marino grew up. Yeah, I did that trick often. But the thing I say about Marino is if he played in Peyton Manning's era, he would blow Manning's numbers away. There's not a better passer. The era he played in you know, didn't help his numbers. I just can't imagine if you swapped... And this isn't a negative on Manning, but if you moved... If Manning morphed back to 83 and played on those, those Miami teams and Marino played... In the Manning era, I think he'd have all the records. I mean, I think he'd throw 50 touchdowns a year. So, I think Danny M is like the all-time underrated quarterback. And everyone realizes he's an all-time great, but I want that guy. Um, Micah asks, would the NFL be better if playoffs were just the top 12 teams by record rather than broken down by conference division? I don't think so. I like it the way it is. Uh, Luke Johnson asked me, how sold are you on analytics? For example, do you believe them when they say coverage is significantly more important than front play? I came in very critical, but I'm buying in more and more each day. I'm buying in more and more each day myself. Um, I think some of it is overkill. Some of it I don't care about. But look at the Eagles this year. You know, I mean, going forward on fourth down, playing tendencies, being aggressive. Those were all analytics driven. The way they built their team, a lot of defensive linemen. As for you know, defensive front versus coverage, I'm not a big believer in that. I think it's a lot more depending on what kind of scheme you run. You know, what does your what does your defensive coordinator want out of you? So, yeah, I'm not a big believer in that. You know, necessarily that I don't. I'm going to invest more in secondary than defensive line. But I think there's an awful lot of good analytics stuff, and there's a lot of really good people that do it. I mentioned Warren Sharp, he's been on the show, Football Outsiders, Pro Football Focus. Every team has their own analytics department. I'd love to get some of that information. Uh, Cynthia Froyland over at NFL.com. She's really, really good too. Uh, so there's a lot of people out there doing it that we can all consume. Um, but I would love to know more behind the scenes what people are into analytics, you know, team to team. You know, what are each team focusing on? If I, I wish I had those answers. That would be awesome. Um, okay. Okay. Good show, guys. Uh, That's a wrap for today. Over and out. Check out the rest of Locked On Network.